Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Hey, it's so good to be here in the house. Uh, glad to uh, come through Thanksgiving and um, still, you know, I'm on my own two feet still. Did you guys eat a lot of turkey and like food? I, I always have this intention. All right, so sometimes we intend to do things, but if we don't actually follow through with those intentions, that's all they are is just good intentions. I had good intentions and then the food showed up and I looked at what it was and um, I overate once again. It was awesome. The food coma set in and do you guys ever, yeah, well, we all do that, don't we? We eat a lot of food and then we sleep it off and uh, then the next day we start again. What I love about Thanksgiving is that Christmas follows. Christmas is coming, so it's pretty great. Um, And every year on this particular Sunday, we introduce to you all our Christmas offering. And so uh, what we're uh, wanting to show you this morning is where it all is going. So uh, we have, um, every year we do a Christmas offering. It's a special offering. Most of you know that if you've attended here very long, we have one fund that's a general fund that that's, if you give, that's where the money goes. Once a year, uh, we do this designated Christmas offering. And uh, this year, we are again, some of these are perennial, like, they have to have a place here. The window, for example, is the food pantry downtown. The window, uh, we give to that during the, Christ- for the uh, with the Christmas offering, the Elkhart County Jail Chaplaincy Program. Uh, Destiny Rescue is a, is a new one. Destiny Rescue is, is uh, based in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but they do work around the world. They are a human trafficking organization that works against human trafficking to rescue uh, women and children out of... Um, out of uh, human trafficking situations. Most of their work is done in Asia, in Latin America, and in uh, Central America. Uh, We also uh, have been funding uh, pretty much in its entirety the Student Winter Retreat. That is going to be an amazing experience this year. Again, they're headed all the way up to Evart, I don't know if I ever say that word right, Evart, Michigan, which is like four hours north, I think. So it's Spring Hill Camp. That's where it's going to be held this year. Uh, this summer, we are doing a mashup of what may be called traditional VBS, Vacation Bible School, and like a day camp. So that's happening right here at the corner of 5th and Madison this summer. So Kids Camp is going to be funded through the Christmas offering as well. The medical team um, is in need of an AED And uh, don't tell our insurance company we don't have one right now. But uh, that's one of the things we're raising money for is our medical team needs some equipment. And uh, there's always local care that is funded out of, so like a benevolence fund is funded out of this special offering. And there's miscellaneous facility upgrades. So that's coming up. And that account is, if you go online, you'll see that that is an available fund that you can give to uh, already this morning. If you want to give a check, you can just designate it to the Christmas offering. So that's where we're headed this month. It's going to be an awesome, awesome uh, next number of weeks as we gather together. By the way, we also are going to have our usual uh, Christmas Eve services, and uh, we won't be meeting in the morning on Christmas Eve. 
but we will have two services, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So that's what's coming up. Uh, I hope you uh, jump in and, and uh, help us as we uh, move this mission forward. Well, last week, if you were here or if you watched online, you know that we had uh, a conversation about changing our mind. Uh, this has been sort of, this week and last week have sort of been a, a dropping off point from uh, the book of James. And, uh, and so this morning, uh, I want to continue in that frame of mind of, of changing our minds. And I want to talk to you about unlimited. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 50 tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's simply to say that God is unlimited. He has everything that we would ever need or desire is found in God. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Title of the message is Unlimited. Um, let's start off with a question. I have this or a statement. Let's just, I, 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 an admission to you that I have this reoccurring dream that happens to me occasionally. And, um, and I'm without clothes and I'm outside somewhere. And I'm in a very desperate situation, like naked and afraid. I've not really watched the show, but I hear there's a show like that, a reality TV show. That's what I feel like when I wake up and I realize it's not true. But the fear that comes over me until I wake up is palatable, like sweaty, like freaking out, like what am I doing out here with no clothes on? Have you ever been in a situation where you had that cold sweat, just terrified about what was in front of you? Uh, back in like 2007, um, I had uh, just went on staff. Uh, I was at a, on staff at a local church and and I took a class at Bethel University, several classes at Bethel University. One of those was a homiletics class, so a preaching class. And um, I was in a class with seniors, and um, I was probably a couple decades older than most of them in the room. But one day, one night, it was a night class, so one night I'm in the class and uh, the professor says, okay, here is a subject matter and um, who's first? Come up and just preach to us. Like, give us an outline on the board and preach to us. Tell us what you're gonna be speaking to us about. And here's the topic. Who's first? There have been a few times in my life where I was terrified and it wasn't, it was real life. It wasn't just a dream, like it was real life. And I felt the panic rise up in me. I was absolutely terrified. A cold sweat was a real thing. And what I felt in that moment was like paralysis. Like I was, I was paralyzed and I was panicked and I didn't know what to do other than um, I wasn't taking the class for credit. So I was just sitting in and I was just learning. And so I had the opportunity to say, no, no, I'll pass. I'll pass. And unfortunately, that's what, or fortunately, I don't know. That's what I did. 
I stepped back and I capitulated to the fear that I felt in that moment. That terror gripped me. Because see, where I was sitting, I couldn't see a way forward beyond what my mind was telling me in that moment. The terror that I experienced was the result of living just in that moment, not being able to see behind me or in front of me. It was just in that moment, and I couldn't move. See, that's where many of us sometimes find ourselves. When we perceive the failure that we are potentially going to have, so the fear of failure was what drove that moment for me. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to look like a fool. No one likes to look like a fool, and I especially didn't want to look like that in that class. And so the fear of failure gripped me. Some of you this morning are gripped by the fear of failure. You refuse to take risks in your life because you are afraid. Some of you are afraid of the future, this fear of the future. What is it going to hold for us and our children? What happens next month? What happens next year? What do we, we're looking at a, a political cycle that we're getting into. We have a fear of the future that per, paralyzes us. For some of us, we're, we have a fear of funding. We have a fear of, of, well, do we have enough resources to actually move forward? Do we have enough resources to sustain our family? Here's what I've adopted over the years. I believe that we ought to fail fast. So if you're about to make a decision, make a decision, go for it. And if you're going to fail, fail fast. Get it over with. Because when we fail fast, we learn from those failures. We should. That is the purpose for failing, is so that we can actually learn. So fail fast, fail often, keep trying things. You can push back against fear if you keep trying, if you keep pushing, pushing in, if you keep moving forward. That's the key. Fail fast, fail often, and fail forward. Fail and then move on. Fail, learn, move on. That's, that's what we all should be moving toward is to learn, to grow, and keep moving. So how do we face our fears and grow our faith? See, there's some things that I've done in my life, the, some failures that I've had in my life that I am grateful for today. I was not grateful for them 20, 30 years ago, but now in retrospect, I can look back and I'm, I'm like, okay, I learned so much and God was so gracious to me to allow me to fail, to allow me to learn and now move on to the next part of my life. How do, we, how do we face our fears? How do we grow our faith? And what are the implications in my life and my family if I keep ignoring what I know to be true about me? See, sometimes we don't want to face the truth about us. We just would rather bury that, ignore it, and keep on going and just ignore what we actually know is true about us. Uh, I was like um, 14 years old, I think. So uh, that was a long time ago. And um, I was like the 100 pound, I was strong, but I was like a skin and bones. I couldn't, I couldn't gain weight if I had to. And uh, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, all right, we got to do something about this, right? At 14 years old, you know, puberty is a thing. And uh, boy, I wasn't, I wasn't putting on any muscle. Come on, like, what do I do? And so, you know, that was back in the day when you did mail order. 
Like you literally mailed things, uh, a check in the mail, and then maybe six or eight weeks later, you would get something back. It was always like six to eight weeks for delivery, right? Today, you guys don't know what that's about. Like you literally press a button and instantly, like pretty soon, you know, when the Elkhart branch of Amazon opens up, we're probably going to have drone delivery, like fly into your door the minute you order it. That wasn't the case back in the 70s. I had comic books. So if you have comic books, you flip all the way to the back, there's all kinds of advertisements back there, right? All kinds of interesting things that you can order. Junk you can order, literally junk. But it was fun. It was great. And in that, the back of the one comic book, I kept seeing this advertisement for Charles Atlas. It was a course, $29.95, and you could have an awesome body that no one would boss you around with anymore. So guess what I did? I didn't tell anybody, but I saved up some money and I sent, I'm sure I sent cash. I didn't have a checking account at 14. I'm sure I sent cash, $29.95, to get the Charles Atlas course. And Charles Atlas has this, has this uh, he, he made his name with this process called dynamic tension. So no weights, no nothing, right? You just use your body to increase muscle mass. So it's like this. So um, I can't do this with, here, let me try. So um, instead of pulling an actual pulley, you would actually put your two hands together. And from the bottom, you would push up. And from the top, you would push down. So if you try this, like your chest muscles, are expanding, right? And they're getting stronger. So you do rep after rep after rep. When you wanted to grow your biceps, you would push your right hand into your left hand or vice versa, and you would resist that, right? So instead of weights, you would just simply use your body. This is called dynamic tension. This is what we do with fear and faith. Think about this. Fear and faith are direct opposite of each other. They work against each other. When you take fear and you have it below faith and you press faith into fear, faith can overcome the fear. Dynamic tension, this is part of life. The opposite things that are in our lives, one works against us, one works for us. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, 17. He says, the sinful nature, here it is, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Unless, of course, you actually develop faith that opposes the fear. In Romans 7, Paul says it like, uh, he says, the good I want to do, I don't do. The good I want to do, I just, I don't do it when fear is overcoming my faith. So we need to diminish fear in our lives and increase the level of faith. So how do we face, uh, by the way, the other thing, the other thing, and this is key for, I'm just going to say it, like you guys, men, the other thing I learned from Charles Atlas was that the snooze button is for those that are undecided. So one of the things he taught us in that course 
was when the alarm rings, because I'm sure it was a, a manual ring, you know, like there's no digital anything. When the alarm rings, you get up. Don't mess around. Just get up and get at it. And so many of us, just like we deal with fear in ways that, yeah, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with the things in my life that need attention. I'll do that later. Part of the principle for me, I mean, I'm 14 years old. My mom and dad have badgered me to get up when the alarm goes off. Get up when we tell you to get up. Charles Atlas writes a course and he says, well, part of the process for gaining muscle is to not dilly-dally around. You just, that's the words he used. Don't dilly-dally around. You have to get up when the alarm come, goes off. Many of us need to do that with our personal lives. Like address the things when they come up. Don't mess around with them. So how do we face our fears and grow our faith? Well, we get perspective. So um, there's going to be an image on the screen that I have not yet seen, but uh, the question I would ask is, what do you see? What do you see? Hmm. So answer the question, is the cat going up or down the stairs? What do you, what do you see? <laughs> Which one is it? Shout it out. Is the cat going up or down? See, you guys are seeing different things. You have different perspectives. You know that perspective influences what you see, and what you see influences your response. A couple years ago, I was in downtown Goshen, going east. All right, go with me. Going east on Lincoln Avenue. I'm at Intera Credit Union at that intersection. I'm in the lane that is furthest to the right eastbound. Now, if you know this area of town, you know that um, there is a clearly marked right turn only for that lane. Well, I looked ahead, and up ahead of me was a sign that said right turn only. I know, like, I have lived here all of my life except for about four years. I should know these things. But as often happens when we drive, we aren't paying attention. Your, our, my perception was that the sign ahead of me was for the next intersection. So I went straight through that intersection where I was just supposed to turn right. I was in the wrong lane. I'm, I go ahead to the next light. And for some reason, I'm also now looking at the next sign ahead of me. And I do this twice. Like two intersections in a row, I don't turn when I'm supposed to turn. And, um, and all of a sudden, there's red and blue lights behind me, indicating that I have just broken the law. Yes, I got a ticket. And Brenda bought jewelry after that ticket, like she always does when I get a ticket. This is what happens when we don't have proper perspective. We don't see the signage. We don't, we don't see what's right in front of us because we are not paying attention. Well, today I want to talk to you, give you, uh, I want to talk to you about the talk. The talk. Uh, Brenda and I do marriage, uh, do this thing called Marriage Matters. We're uh, marriage coaches. We do a lot of, have a lot of conversations with couples. 
and, um, and we have the talk with them too. Um, yeah, we do have the sex talk with them, but that's not the one we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the other one that most of you don't talk to your kids about, and that is the money talk. See, sex and money are the two things that families often avoid as long as they possibly can. If you've been around here very long, you know that we use the term invest in the work at Restore. Like we say that every Sunday, you hear us say, if you're interested in giving to the work, you can invest this morning in what happens here at the corner of 5th and Madison. That's our conversation. We've said in the word invest since day one. And you know why we say invest? Not because, because when you invest, you kind of, um, you kind of just, uh, you make the investment and you let it grow. You make the investment in something that you believe in. We could say give, but invest is more uh, part of our DNA. And so we talk about investing and uh when you invest, you expect an ROI. You, you expect a return on that investment. And what we believe is, is that um, the return on the investment with a ministry like this is sometimes not seen for a long time. Have you watched people change their life? Have you observed your own patterns when it comes to making a change in your life? The difficulty of making that change is uh, it has been a, an exercise in patience on my part over the years with myself and with you all. Like, this is not an easy uh, process to watch sometimes, but it is a worthwhile one and one that we would encourage you to continue to invest in. But our investment um, also comes with a perspective. We all have perspective on when it comes to wealth and where it, when it comes to money. So I, wanna, I want to take you to the uh, two perspectives that I want to highlight this morning. The first one is the human, or some would say the worldly perspective. So the more I get, the better. That's, that's what the world would say, or the human side of us, is that the more I get, the better. And Oh, gain equals material wealth. So if I'm gaining something, then that means that I've got material wealth. The goal for a, is accumulation, getting as much as I can. We are dependent, when we have human perspective, we're dependent on the provision. We're dependent on the stuff that we get. When we have the human perspective, giving seems like loss. If I give away something, then I feel like I'm losing that. And so our response is often that we hold tightly to this and we squeeze the life out of it. We want to keep it close. Well, let's take the uh, scripture from Luke 18 now. And recently, Jesus had been teaching his disciples about the importance of faithfulness in regard to money. In Luke 16, he had said, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other and you cannot serve both God and money. Now his disciples were about to get an object lesson from an actual uh, fabulous, fabulously uh, a rich, wealthy man. And let's pick it up in Luke 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus kind of, like, he has this way of asking another question. The guy asks him a question. He responds back with, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. Now, Matthew and Mark also have this account, and Mark 10 gives a little more context. It says, as Jesus was on his way, so as Jesus was leaving town, this man comes running up. It's like he was in desperation. It was his last chance to ask the question before Jesus left town, and he had to meet Jesus face to face. So he runs up, and he falls on his knees in front of him. It's like this picture of urgency and earnestness and humility. Here's this really wealthy guy who had great clothes, who was kneeling in the dirt in front of Jesus. And he had a burning question on his heart. That question is what most of, the, um, most of us would have at some point or another. Most of the wealthy religious people of that day who had asked Jesus public questions were always trying to trick him into responding foolishly. They would say things like, should we give taxes to Caesar? Why do your disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath? Like, why do they do things on the Sabbath that we clearly know they aren't supposed to do? This lady was caught in the very act of adultery. Shouldn't we stone her like Moses directed us to do? But this man's question was no trick question. It was a sincere question which he needed an answer to. How do I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The question tells us several things about, about this young man. He must be feeling inadequate in his spiritual like in his spiritual life, his, the way he's been prepared spiritually, or he wouldn't ask the question. And he also probably believes that eternal life is something that one earns by what he does. Now, I would venture to guess that if you and I ask the average man and woman that we connect with this week the question of, uh, would you go to heaven if you did all good things? Like, do you go to heaven if you do all the great things, the good things? And most people would say, yes, I must do good to get to heaven. And of course, the opposite is true. Most people would believe that if you do bad things, or at least very bad things, you would go to hell. Eternal life is this reward for doing, for doing good things on earth. These words from Isaiah probably escaped this young man's attention. It was written 750 years before this interaction with Jesus. Isaiah wrote, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. These were scathing words to this attempt at doing good. It's not that we shouldn't do good. Jesus calls us to do good. But if our, if our eternal life, our destination is dependent on just how much good we do, we are believing a fallacy. But this is what this young man must have believed. He, uh, he didn't understand that sometimes we have ulterior motives when we do good deeds. 
and that sometimes uh, our understanding of what Scripture actually teaches is slightly off. But Jesus got right to the heart of the matter. He just simply says, hey, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't lie. Honor your father and father and mother. And Jesus also knew that he would answer in the affirmative, that he would say, I have always kept these commandments since I was a young child. But Jesus saw a deeper need. See, on the surface, this guy was doing good. He was doing all the good stuff. And he loved his stuff. He loved what he had. His wealth was what he loved most, and it was rooted in idolatry, and he wouldn't give it up. His value of himself, how he measured his success, was dependent on the provision. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy. He says, uh, people who want to be rich bring temptations to themselves. This is where this young man found himself. They are caught in a trap. They begin to want many foolish things that will hurt them. These things ruin and destroy people. The love of money causes all kinds of evil. You've heard me say this before, you guys. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is not money itself. It is where our heart is. It's where our heart is, how inclined we are to love money. This is where the root of all evil comes from. Some people have turned away from what we believe because they want to get more and more money, but they have caused themselves a lot of pain and sorrow. All right, so we've heard the human worldly perspective. So what's God's perspective when it comes to money and wealth? Here's God's perspective. The more I give, the better. It's maybe, it almost seems like a cliche to say this. But the more I give, the better. You know, we go back to Scripture and we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God doesn't hold back. God is unlimited. He has all the resources that we could ever imagine or want or need. The more I give, the better. Gain equals godliness with contentment. I don't know if I can move on without addressing this. Contentment. Sometimes we equate contentment with satisfaction, especially if we're like, well, I'm going to be godly. godly. Like, I'm, I, I just want to be contented. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things. Do you think the Apostle Paul was satisfied in all things? See, I I don't believe that at all. You look at the Apostle Paul's life. He didn't sit back and go, I'm satisfied with my life. I have nothing more to do. Some of us want to say, I'm just satisfied with what I have, who I am. I don't want anything to change. And that is the wrong perspective. Contentment, though, is that we have peace. We have peace with what we have. We have peace in our current circumstances. That's what godliness with contentment is. So if you're, if you're tempted to not continue grinding, if you're tempted to sit back and relax, I would just encourage you to rethink this. You can be content, but you don't have to be satisfied. The goal is detachment from material things. We are dependent on the provider instead of dependent on the provision. Giving is investment in the kingdom of God. And our response is to open up. Our response is to surrender. See, when we, when we shift our perspective from human to God, that whole process is called 
surrender. And surrender is not a word that any of us really likes because it implies that we are losing and no one wants to be a loser. Surrender is like to admit defeat, raise the white flag. We're yielding to a stronger opponent. And you know, in our, in our culture, our competitive culture, it's all about never give up, never give in, fight till the end, hold on tight, don't let go. You know, this has its place. I wish Northwood would have done that last night, but they didn't. That's a difficult loss down at state. But the ways of the world don't necessarily translate to the kingdom of God. So when we resist giving up, we also miss all that God wants to do in and through our lives. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Rick Warren wrote in The Purpose Driven Life, he said, everybody eventually surrenders to something or someone. If not God, you will surrender to the opinions or expectations of others. You'll surrender to money, to resentment, to fear, or to your own pride, lusts, or ego. You and I were designed to worship God. And if you fail to worship him, you will create other things, idols, to give your life to. You're free to choose what you surrender to, but you're not free from the consequences of that sin and of that choice. That's a tough one, surrender. But that is what happens when we gain godly perspective. Now, in the Old Testament, there's this per, a prophetic directive to the Israelites. In Malachi 3, um, you probably have all heard this before. Let me just read it for you again. The Lord, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests. Um, yeah, that's where we end, enough to store it. Test me in this. Test me in this. The only place in the Bible you'll see where God says, test me in this. I wonder if you can take God up on his offer this morning. Can you test him in specifically in this area of your finances? If you've been to RDNA, our, um, if we did membership here, it would be our membership class. But RDNA is our um, brunch that we have where you come and you hear about what we're doing, why we're doing it. You join the mission. You'll know that we talk about how we give here and how we invest in the work that happens here at Restore. And we are not, um, we're New Testament, and so we look at this tithing passage in the Old Testament as a great guideline for our day. And many of you have heard my story of how Brenda and I were under this teaching, and the teaching we were under was very much Old Testament, you must give at least 10%. And, um, and, you know, I thought the other day, I don't know what we, what we would have done if we wouldn't have had that strong teaching in our lives because we just made a decision. We made a decision that um, 
we needed to do this and that we were going to have the faith. We were going to get a godly perspective and raise the level of faith in our lives. Are we going to push back against the fear that we would never have enough and actually begin to give first? And so we started giving 10%. And I still believe that's a practical place for many of us to start. We have to start somewhere. And some of us um, maybe want to start at 5% or $5. I don't care what it is. That's between you and God. But my encouragement for you this morning is that you let faith rise in your life, that you push back the fear in your life related to this area of finances. Test God and see what he might do. See, fear would keep us panicked and and paralyzed. But if we surrender to faith, if we believe that God really does have our best in mind, that his intentions toward us are always good and they're always for his glory, then we also believe that he is unlimited in his resources, that he has the capacity to care for us no matter what. And if we believe all of that, we'll be inspired to more courageously pursue the promises of God, the purposes of God, and you might know that you have a great potential for a future that is wild beyond your imagination, but it begins with pushing back against the fear and stepping into faith. That's the big step that many of us need to take. So what do I want you to do this morning? I want you to get perspective. I want you to get perspective. I want you to face your fears and grow your faith. But all of that is between you and God. I just needed to do what I needed to do this morning, which is what Paul told Timothy to do. When he said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. And by the way, we're all rich. So don't take yourself out of that category because we are all wealthy beyond measure compared to the rest of the world. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, tell them to use their money to do good. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Use your money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up the treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience life, real life, eternal life, great futures. That is what opening our lives, surrendering to faith will do for us. Would you stand with me? See, the rich young ruler, he needed a whole new starting point. He, like uh, you and I, we don't need and he didn't need another commandment to follow or a rule to keep. He was looking, he was trying to find assurance of eternal life. And Jesus pointed out that salvation doesn't come from good deeds without the love of God. Our goodness comes from a deeply surrendered heart that holds nothing in reserve, but is fully engaged in listening and obeying the one who knows us best. That's where we find real life. It's a heart matter. So this morning, I hope that you will take a step, that you'll make a decision, that you'll test God in this area of your finances. I hope that you will make the investment Understanding that the ROI on this investment is like no other. This morning, 
We just need to start. Just need to start. We serve a God that is unlimited in all ways and has all good in store for us. And I'm eternally grateful that we have these promises of scripture that allow us to push back against the fear and celebrate our faith. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning and we know that um, our, our hearts are our idol factories. That when our worship is not aligned with you, when our worship and when our eyes are not completely fixed on you, when we uh, look, the other, look a different direction, when we don't have proper perspective, we don't have godly perspective, then our human perspective continues to just expose the depravity of our hearts. And so I don't know where all my friends are in this space and online this morning, where they are in this area of finances, the, the, the area of fear uh, related to this, but fear has many ugly heads and we, uh, we just, I pray for each of us that we would be uh, diligent in pressing against it. We have this capacity to, to increase our faith and push back against the darkness of fear. So God, will we need courage this morning? Or would you just bring it about? Like change our hearts about this? Make our hearts pliable? And um, let our faith just rise up. Let our mission be so much bigger than just ourselves. And God, we just, uh, we ask you to do some powerful things in us as we consider this word and as we continue to worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. The ministry team, the prayer ministry team is going to be up front this morning again. And um, for any reason at all, we can pray for you, help you. We'd love to pray for you and um, just seek the Father on your behalf. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.